I bet most of you have played the what if game. Probably played it in your life. Maybe you're playing it right now. But there's, there's some, I think, some serious questions that we can get into on the play, we play the what if game. You know, life-altering questions. Things that, that could change the course of history, right? Like, what if I'd invested in Amazon or Apple, right? Those are life-altering things. Or, what if Drew Brees had signed with the Dolphins instead of Dante Culpepper when Nick Saban was the coach there? Those type of questions. Or, in Alabama's case, what if Rich Rodriguez had been the coach at Alabama, hadn't changed his mind? Wait a let me rephrase that. What if Rich's wife had not changed his mind about coming to Alabama? Or what if Gus Malzahn had not been conservative against Florida State? You know, th- those are burning questions that we all have. But there are really are, are some questions in our own nation that, you know, you think about. Like, what if, what if France did not help us during the American Revolution? What if JFK had not been assassinated? What if Nixon had not tried to cover up Watergate? Or probably the biggest, biggest question on all of our minds, what if Donald Trump stayed off Twitter, right? No, we can play that what if game, what if game. But I have another question, another what if, a little bit different tone. What if God is limited by how we pray? What if God is limited by how we pray? And I know some of you are looking at me and go, what you, what you talking about, Willis, right? Because we don't think of the word limited and God. We don't, we don't put those in the same sentence. Because if, if you're here today, if you're watching online, and I ask the question, what if God is limited by, our pray, by how we pray? You're going, no. We, we can't use God in limited because God is all-powerful. God is all-seeing. God is all-knowing. God is, God is everywhere. God is outside time and space. So how in the world can you put the word limited to God? Yeah, because God is outside time. Did y'all realize that God is outside time? And I know some of you are going like, yeah, I understand that now because I've been watching Marvel movies, you know, for many years. So I understand what being outside of time is. But we know and believe that God does whatever he wants to do and whenever he wants to do it. But we do, but most of us figured out this though, that there is, there's one thing God will not do and that's force us to love him. We understand that God has given us free will. He's given us freedom to choose to love him. So, so we know in that, in that respect, God can't do that because he wants that relationship with us and you can't have that relationship if, if it's forced into it. So we understand at least that component about God. You know, there, there are people that think of, of this question, I think, is, and you probably run across some actually, is every moment in our life, is everything that has happened in our life going to happen no matter what? Right? Is, is, is everything that happened in my life and everything that's going forward in my life, is it, is it going to happen no matter what? It, it basically, is the plan already laid out there? Right? And, and you've, you've thought about that. And, and you know people that actually deny believing in God, don't want to believe in God because they think that way, particularly when it comes to this. They think, okay, if there was a God... Suffering. 
killings, starvation, wars. If there's a God, if there's a God that, that would not be going on. You know, we, 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 we blame God for a whole lot of things. We really do. And, and I think that, that we rather flippantly will, will throw out things like will of God. And I think we flippantly throw that out a whole lot more than, than we need to. But, but I, I do want us to consider this question. Is, is, the part, is there a part that we play each and every day of our lives that affects what God does or doesn't do in our lives? Is God limited by how we pray? Is there something we do or do not do that affects something that God or does or does not do? All right, here's, here's the short answer. Yes. And there's biblical evidence. We're going to start in Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Zin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand before you by the rocket, or strike the rock, and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Mesa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord not, is the Lord among us or not? So I want to stop right there and, and sort of review this part of the story. People had no water. Okay, they, they had been living in Egypt 400 plus years. And I'm going to make the assumption that water had not been an issue. Okay? I don't know if the river Nile was good enough to drink or not. Probably was. But I don't, I, I'm assuming that their water issues were not the problem in Egypt. They had plenty, to, plenty for themselves and for the livestock and family. So I'm just going to assume that water was an afterthought for them when they were in, in, in Egypt and in slavery for 400, I think 430 years. All right? For 55 years, water in my life has been an afterthought. For 55 years, I didn't think about water. Because where I lived and the places I lived, we paid the city. The city took care of our water. E- even when our pow- power was out for two weeks in 1979, when Frederick blew through, we still had water. Didn't have power. It was hot, but at least we had water. In 2020, March of 2020, Moved to a different house. Well water. Do you know what happens when the, water go, when the power goes out? The pump doesn't pump water. So if I have no power in my house, I do not have water. And normally, the good folks at our electric company that we pay plenty of money to, 
right? Normally get it back quickly. Occasionally, though, we've gone a couple days without power. It took me three years. took me three years. But I now have figured out how to make my pump work with a generator. So I've figured out now that the power's out on, right? Now that I got power back, I figured out how to turn my pump on to get water. But the Israelites were worried about water. I, I thought about this. Why did not God just give them the MapQuest app and they had the layer for water on it and you hit layer for water and it shows you all the points where water was in the wilderness? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he just guide and direct them to those places that had water? Because there were some there were some, some where they camped out many years around water. But that's not what happened. They were wandering around, and, and, and many times they went days without water. And that, that's sort of when they sort of grumbled. And in my mind, I'm thinking, did God do this on purpose? Did God put them in a position to where they needed to turn to him? For them to recognize who he was. And as they turned to him, then he would do something. Well, actually they turned on Moses, right? They didn't turn to God technically, but what did Moses do? Moses was the intermediary. Moses is the one that turned to God at this point. Again, I understand what, what, you, what you think about the word limited in God. But understand what happened here. And it happened a few other times. God did not choose to act until someone cried out to him. Until someone turned to him. Here's the rest of the story. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, two out of those three, Charlton Heston played. Anyway, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. I hope you see the cause and effect that's going on. It, it, it was something that Moses was doing that was affecting the outcome of the battle. When Moses would raise his hand, which he had the staff of God, God's staff that he gave him, a recognition of God's power, recognition of what God could do, when he raised it up, the Israelites had the upper hand. Does, does this, can this play out in your life and mind a little bit? That this cause and effect, this, this turning to God that somehow can change the circumstances in your life and in the lives of those around you? Are there some circumstances in your life right now where God's simply waiting on you? before he will act. 
Is, is he waiting on you to pray, to turn to him before doing something, before acting on your behalf? Have I lost my mind? Well, that's debatable since I went down probably about four rows in a Walmart parking lot looking for my car, right? But there are some biblical evidence, more biblical evidence. I want you to look at this. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You heard the, pra- the phrase quid pro quo before? Which literally means something for something. I had to look it up. I promise. I didn't know it. I had, no, I had to look it up. Hear, hear it all the time. Right? Something for something. And so, what is going on here? God says, I, I'm going to forgive their sin and heal their land. I'm going to do that. But, if, if my people will humble themselves. Here's a simple way to remember, remember humble. Many of us have heard different definitions before, but in the context of what we're talking about today, here's what humble really means. I'm not God. I'm not God. I don't have control over my situation. I may think I do. I may think that in my effort, in my effort alone, I can make a difference and change the, the outcome of my circumstances. But humble means I can't. I can't do that. So that's why I, I pray. I intervene with my words because I seek God. I seek God and turn from my way of doing things, turn from my self-centeredness and turn to God. And, and, and when that happens, when we, we humble ourselves and when we're praying, we're seeking God and we're turning back and turning to God, then he says this, I'm going to forgive, first of all, your sin, and then I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to work in your life. Now, for many of us, just to, just to have that moment of forgiveness, to know, thank you, God, for forgiving me, may be enough, but he says, guess what? I'm going to wipe the slate clean. And I'm going to continue to work in your life. I'm going to continue to do something in your life. When we talk about praying with a purpose, (laughs) no greater purpose do we pray for than for our sins to be forgiven and for God to be working in our individual lives. See, God's all about being involved in the lives of His creation. We, we see it. We see it. He, what did he do? He pulled those people out of Egypt. He pulled his people out of Egypt. And what was his thanks? They complained. They complained. And they complained a lot. They complained a lot. And we only have, I think, in my opinion, only a portion of how they complained in the book of Exodus. Because it got so bad. Here, it got so bad. Listen to this. God said, I've seen these people. They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and then I will make you into a great nation. Moses, 
I'm going to start again with you. Remember Noah? Ah, you're the new Noah. Okay, I'm going to wipe everybody out. We're going to start again. They got too much Egypt in them. Got to get it out of here. And I'm going to start again with you. And Moses went, I mean, all that hard work I did, you're going to throw it away, man. No, he didn't say that. He said this. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. What did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Moses went back on God and said, hey God, you've done all this. And you've got this name. You've got this renown. You've got this you got this, this reputation. you got this reputation. And, and why, 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 why are you going to do this? Why are you going to throw all this away? Now. Then the Lord relented. And did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Circumstances changed. Why? Because Moses prayed. Jeremiah gets into the act. The word of the Lord came to me. He said, I can, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. And this is the potter. We're able to, to mold something out of, out, out of the clay, but then destroy it if they want to. Start again. Like the clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. Okay, God's plan. Circumstances change. How do they change? If the people pray. If the people humble themselves, pray, seek His face, and turn to Him, turn back from the way, turn, turn away from the way they're living, and turn back to God, then... I will change the circumstances. I will change the circumstances. Jer- Jeremiah is p- painting us a picture here that there is a quid pro quo, something for something. If we do something, God does something. Jonah understood this. Jonah understood the character of God. Jonah understood that there was God's character to change the circumstances if the people humbled and prayed, and sought the God's face, and turned from their wicked ways. Jonah knew that. That's why he ran when God said, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, tell those Ninevites, that I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. And Jonah said, I know God, he's going he's to give them a second chance. So he ran away. What did God do? Gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah went and told the, the king of Nineveh, hey, in 40 days... Y'all gonna be wiped off, man. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna say, I got, a, I got, a, I got a, a sideline seat. I'm on top of the hill. I'm gonna watch God take you guys down in 40 days. In 40 days. So the king of Nineveh told his people to pray and fast. But fasting, not just don't eat, don't eat, don't eat or drink, and turn to God. Don't do that. And then he says this. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 
So the king of Nineveh had no guarantees. There is no guarantee, right? Just because we humble and pray and turn and, and, and seek God's face, there's no guarantee that he's going to change the circumstances. But if we don't do, do that, we know what the circumstances will be. And that's where the king was. The king was at the spot where, wait a second, I got to take a shot. I got to take a shot that God's going to do something in here because if I don't do anything, I know what's going to happen in 40 days. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Why? Why did God change the circumstances for Nineveh? Because the Ninevites changed their perspective. They turned to God. Amos is one of the sort of a, one of those obscure minor prophets, right? This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen. In other words, they're not going to wipe out, basically, not going to wipe out the nation. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the, deep, the great deep and devoured land. And I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either. Not going not to destroy the nation. Th these are huge prayers. Do you catch this? These are huge examples. It's not like somebody... God, take the pain away from my boo-boo, right? That it's, it's a whole lot bigger than that. We were talking about saving a whole city, a whole nation, a, a whole group of people. Those are huge prayers. And, and I wonder if, I wonder if many of us have the Doris Day philosophy. Have y'all heard of the Doris Day philosophy? A song came out in 1956. Most of y'all weren't born yet, all right? Few of us were. Few of us were. But in 1956, this song came out. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. We may not be able to see the future, but we know whose hands holds the future. So I don't want us to have that que sera, sera philosophy. I'm, I'm thinking of this philosophy. Lo que sea, seras Dios. And there's probably a few people in here going, you, you mispronounced that. I don't care. Google taught me. I listened to Google for 10 minutes. Lo que sea, sea Dios. That's Spanish for whatever will be God. The future is not known. But who knows? Who knows? The Lord may. Jesus says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a steak? If you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You notice the last verse, what, what Jesus, how he referred to God. He didn't refer to him as the Holy One, the Sacred One, the Divine One, O Omniscient, Omnipresent Being. He said, Father. He said, Father. That implies a relationship. Why can we make an ask? Because we're asking the Father. You know, my, my, my kids were typical growing up. They asked for specific things many times, right? Bike, PlayStation, Xbox, TV, cell phone. They didn't ask a stranger. Who'd they ask? DeAndre and myself. They asked their parents because they had a relationship with us. How much more will the father respond to his children? Do, do, do you know the relationship that you have today? Are, are you aware that you are a child of God? You see, if you don't have that relationship in mind, if you don't have, if you don't have it solid, then I'm, then I'm not sure that you understand this concept of prayer, of where, where God wants it to be and, and how He wants you to be in relationship with Him. Ask it will be given to you because your Father in heaven. Not ask and be given to you because something arbitrarily is going to do something. No. We make the ask because of our relationship. Before I give you instructions about what to do with the cards that you were given in, I want you to, to understand that we can make the ask only because we are in relationship with God. And if you are not in relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then you need to take care of that first. If you are not in a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, Prayers aren't going very far. I'm just going to tell you. Prayers aren't going to go. The only prayer that, you, you know what happens? The only prayer that is heard for those who are not in relationship with God as their father, as a child, if you're not in that relationship, he will hear one prayer. You know what that prayer is? God save me. God come into my life. He's going to hear that prayer all the time. And maybe that's the prayer you need to pray for first today. God come in my life. You have sent your son into this world, not to condemn me, but that I may have life through you. So, so forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want you, I want to be in your family. So you might need to pray that first. And if you've done that, if you're in this room today, and you have a card, if you don't have a card, in just a second, the band's going to be playing a song. You could walk out and get a card, and you'll have plenty of time. Okay, if you didn't get one of these cards. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is make the ask. You make the ask because we do have a God. We have a Father who's concerned about us, cares for us, and wants to be involved in our life, and wants, wants to show Himself strong.
I want you to write down, a, if, maybe just be one. I'll just do one. I'm just doing one, truthfully. I'll make one request. It's specific and it's precise. Okay? I'm going to write that and I'm going to lay it at the altar. No matter what popular opinion is, this is the altar. This is the kneeling rails. Just give you a, a church primary education. All right? That's the altar. Altar, through the biblical times and through many times before that, truthfully, the altar represents God, represents God's presence. So we're laying our prayers in God's presence. We're laying our prayers at God's feet. And here's the deal. That altar is going to be there every time you come in in the month of August. The prayer card is going to be there the whole month of August. At the end of our time of, uh, of prayer in August, we're going to move all those cards to our prayer room that you heard about in the announcements. The prayer room is literally in the middle of the campus. We're going, to want, we're going to ask people that come into that prayer room to pray for these requests. People that come in here on Wednesdays, plus others that may come to the prayer room, may venture over here and pray for your request. I tell you that just in case you get so specific, it may be embarrassing if you put your name on it. All right? But we want to pray, we want, we want to pray for whatever it is you're praying for to, to, the, to the point that you want us to, to where maybe it's not embarrassing to you. But it's specific enough to where other people can pray. So what's going to happen is the, uh, the band's going to be uh, playing a song. And as they're playing the song, I'm going to ask you to come and lay your prayer request at the altar. Knowing that not only are you praying for that request, other people will be praying for you too. And what I hope to happen in the next coming weeks is a, is a way for us to, to be able to respond, basically through an email to, directly to me that says, hey, God's working in my life in this aspect. And it may be a specific answer. You may get that, that answer. You may get it tomorrow. You may get it next week. And we, I want to celebrate the, those. I want to celebrate those. Not to make a public spectacle of it, but to give praise to God and let our church know, hey, 10, ten specific requests were answered this week. God moved and changed the circumstances in this person's life. Or God moved and changed the person's perspective. Because here's, here's what happened. Our circumstances are not going to change. Unless we lay it at the feet of the one who can change it. God, we ask that your presence would be over this, this time. For each request that's laid down on this altar, for each request and for each person, I ask for your spirit to come mightily. Come on them mightily. Work in each of these situations. God, we come, and we come asking, knowing that no one else can change our circumstances. No one else can do anything to bring about a change in our lives or a change in another person's life. So we thank you in advance for working, for showing yourself to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand and worship? And as God leads you, you can come lay your request at the altar.